You see, this weekend as we continue in our series, Relationship Not Rules, we come to the seventh commandment, you must not commit adultery. And it's here that you and I deal with not just a tough topic, but a little bit of a a touchy topic, a little bit of a tricky topic, because we've got to talk about a biblical blueprint for marriage. And we've got to talk about intimacy in marriage. Now, you need to understand, given the audience, I am going to be sensitive with the subject. But it is your responsibility as parents to be teaching and training your children. And some of you are not going to be comfortable at this point with maybe your kids hearing this message. And so, again, I'm going to be very sensitive to the subject. And so what I'm going to do is here in a moment, if you're not comfortable with that, when I dismiss for children's church, you can get up with your kids and you head out. No one's really going to know you're heading off to children's church, but you later on can listen online and, and you can hear that message. And my, my desire would be that you would talk to your kids about this stuff. Because here's something that we need to understand. Our kids are going to hear this message. The question is, are we going to give them a Christian perspective or let the culture provide their perspective? So kids, you are dismissed for Children's Church. Thanks for hanging in there. And you guys can take off for Children's Church. Why would God put as the seventh commandment, do not commit adultery? Because adultery murders marriage. You see, adultery does not cultivate relationship, it kills relationship. And you and I need to understand here that it really revolves around a relationship, not just around a rule. You see, adultery murders God's primary purpose for marriage, which is partnering together. Because what it does is it trashes trust, and without trust, there is no teeming. Now, you and I need desperately a biblical basis for marriage today. And what we're going to discover together is the antidote to adultery. And what you're going to discover with me is that the antidote to adultery is only found in one place, and that is a biblical blueprint for marriage. Now, I recognize some of you have been deeply wounded by people that have not been faithful to you in your life. And so I want to take a moment on the front end of the message, and I just want to pray for you if you bow your heads with me. Father, we come to you today dealing with a topic that's not just a tough topic, but a topic that has trashed the hearts of many people. God, we pray right now that you would not just heal their hurts, but that you would heal their hearts. And we pray that for those that are on both sides of this coin, not just those that are cheated on, but those who have cheated. Because God, they they carry those, those hurts in their heart too. Help us to be people that make marriage about your will and not our wants, for we pray these things in your name. Amen. As you and I turn to Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, we come to the words, you must not commit adultery. And what we discover here is two things, not only the purpose for marriage, but the purity of marriage. And when we talk about the purpose of marriage, many of us today have marriages that are more of a mess than they are a masterpiece, God's ultimate plan. And that's because we're listening today to the voice of the world instead of the word of God. 
And because we're listening to the world and instead of the word, what's happening in our lives is we're making marriage about me and not about we. And when I talk about we, I'm not just talking a husband and a wife, I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. You see, Ecclesiastes tells us that a cord of three strands is not easily broken. And those three strands are not just the husband and the wife, but the Holy Spirit. And for many of us today, what we're doing is trying to hold a relationship together loosely with two strands. But you see, those strands keep one to come apart. It takes a third strand to actually weave them together so that there is strength in that relationship. And we're not talking about the Holy Spirit just loosely wrapped around our lives. We're talking about the Holy Spirit woven into the very fabric of our lives. And for many of us, the problem becomes that we have a Sunday religion instead of an everyday relationship. Today, many of us are listening to Hollywood instead of God's holy word when it comes to marriage. And we're trying to take our cues from the culture instead of listening to Jesus Christ. And so we're using marriage as this vehicle to to self-happiness instead of service and holiness. Now, as we look at the very first marriage, Adam and Eve, we discover God's purpose for marriage. And I'm going to ask you to take your Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. And as we get to Genesis 2.18 that we're going to read in a moment, we discover God's three purposes for marriage. But what we discover is they're in a particular order, and that order absolutely matters. So turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them, and the man chose a name for each one. And he gave names to all of the livestock, all of the birds of the sky, all the wild animals, but there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while the man slept, the Lord took out one of the man's ribs, and he closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. At last the man exclaimed, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. This explains why a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall be united into one. Now jump over for a moment to chapter 3 verse 20. Then the man, Adam, named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all who lived. If you and I desire to have happy marriages, we need to have holy marriages. And the only way to have that holy marriage is to submit ourselves to God's purpose for marriage. And what we discover in this biblical blueprint for marriage is the number one purpose here is partnership. Now I want you to notice that Adam had a job. Prior to Eve, he was productive, he just wasn't complete. And so God's answer to that lack of completion in his life was to say, I'm going to provide a helpmate. Now, many of us, as we think about helpmate, just think about a fellow worker. But God didn't make a worker. God made a wife. Many of us in our marriages are just teaming together to pay the bills. 
We're making it about the economics and the cash instead of emotional connection. But what I want you to see here is when it comes to marriage, it's not really just the work. It is the worship together and the witness together. Because you and I have this incredible privilege and our marriage is our greatest ministry. Because our marriage allows us to reflect the very character of God. We mirror the image of God because we get to, in a committed partnership relationship of marriage, we get to reflect the love of God. And what kind of a love is that? It's an agape love. See, the culture just wants to focus on their sexual love. They just want to focus on the feel-good kind of love. But they desperately desire this, this sacrificial love, this unconditional love. And you and I, when we truly partner together in marriage, we get to reflect God's love to a culture. But it's not just his love, it's his faithfulness. It's his forgiveness. It's, it's his commitment. And we could go through all the characteristics of God that we get to mirror through our marriages, our greatest ministry is our marriage. You see, the reason that God hates divorce and God hates adultery is because it doesn't reflect his character. In fact, it just reflects death. And death is really the character of the devil, not the deity. And how many of us in our marriages today have miserable marriages instead of ministries? Because we want to do it our way instead of according to God's will. Now, you'll notice here that Adam and Eve probably had the perfect marriage because Eve couldn't talk about the men that she might have married and he couldn't have talked about his mother and how better of a cook she was. And so they had a slight advantage to you and I. But the reality is what you discover here is God's purpose for marriage is one man, one woman for life. Notice that God didn't create other women for Adam. God did not create other men for Eve. You see, every step that our culture has taken in this ideology of being progressive, every step they've taken away from a biblical blueprint for marriage has been a step backwards. We're not progressing. We're digressing today. We're destroying relationship and we're destroying marriage because we're saying, I'm going to make it about the worldview and my wants instead of God's will and the word of God. One of the things that is destroying marriage is this ideology that is prevalent in our current culture today of living together prior to getting married. And one of the reasons that a lot of people do that is because it's cheaper. And so what we're doing today is we're basing it on money instead of on the master. We're choosing to allow cash instead of Christ to be the reason for why we do what we do. Another reason why we do this is because we've bought into this worldly idea that we've got to discover whether we're compatible before we make a commitment. Now, why would we do that? Because we're still making it about me and not about we. You see, we don't involve the Holy Spirit in that and say, God, what do you want? It's what do I want? And we're afraid today that if we don't get what we want, we can't commit. But you see, what we do is we live together and we really never give our hearts to one another. 
We really never submit to God. And here's the reality. God cannot bless sin. And let's just be honest for a moment. Couples that are living together are not just having supper together. And the Bible says that that's sin. Sex outside of marriage. You see, what we're doing is we're buying into being adulterers and adulteresses. Why? Because of cash, because of convenience, because we want to make sure that we're compatible because we've made it about me and not about we. Now, I've shared this story before, and I'm going to share it again. I will never forget a dad who called me and literally yelled and cussed me out for five minutes straight because I would not perform the wedding for his daughter and future son-in-law. Because they were living together and we talked through things and they said, well, no, we're going to do what we want to do. We recognize it's sin, but we still want to have a big wedding and celebrate sin. And I said, we're not going to do that in this church. And the culture doesn't understand that. How come you can't be happy for me? It's my wedding and it's my... I'm sorry, God can't celebrate sin and neither can I. The, the reality is many of us, we forgo the blessings of God and we trade blessing for bondage because we choose our wants over God's will. And so this dad was calling me to yell at me and he was very upset with me. And in the middle of the conversation, he said, you need to get into the 21st century and get out of that old book. It doesn't work anymore. The Bible. And he said this to me. He said, kids today are smarter than we were because they're trying to figure out if they're compatible first and then they'll make a commitment. I said, wow, that sounds right. My Bible does say there is a way that seems right to a man. The end of it is death. So let's explore your worldly logic for a moment. I knew this guy had a sold vehicles. And so I said, you know, my wife and I are in the market for a vehicle. We're not sure if we need an SUV or a pickup. So here's what we're going to do. I like your idea. I'm really liking this. Because I'm going to come down to the dealership and I'm just going to take one of those vehicles. Now, here's the thing. You've told me it's important for me to discover whether it's going to be compatible before I make a commitment. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to use that vehicle for a year. And if it's compatible at the end of a year, I'll make a commitment. Because that's about how long you've been letting this guy live with your daughter. About a year. And of course, he said, absolutely no way. You see, what we're doing today is we're ruining relationship because we're making it about riches. Instead of coming back to a biblical basis for marriage, first purpose for marriage, partnership. Are you partnering together? Second purpose that we discover here is sort of a surprise for many of us in the church because we sort of have this idea that we're supposed to go around with a long face and be miserable all the time. But, but here is the second purpose for marriage. It's pleasure. Do you notice Adam's response when he first meets Eve? Lucy in the Hebrew, he's like this, wow. Now let me ask you a question. When was the last time you looked at your spouse and went, wow? You see, many of us today are not living in the wow. Some of you are even living in the ow. Some of you today have, have missed the purpose of pleasure within marriage. You know, many of us make these statements, and it drives me crazy as a pastor in the church to hear Christians say this, marriage is a lot of work. Now, we have responsibility in marriage, absolutely. And there's young people today, they want the pleasure without the responsibility. But listen, responsibility doesn't have to be a job, it can be a joy. 
And you and I, as we have these responsibilities in this relationship called marriage, many of us today, we're murdering our marriage. You know why? Because we are making it a job and not a joy. Now, I've got a responsibility as a pastor, right? What happens if I start making it a job and not a joy? I start to kill the ministry. I start to walk around and everything's miserable and everything's a problem. What amazes me about young couples as you look at them prior to getting married is they spend a lot of their time playing together. And then they get married and they trade the play for the problems. And many of us today, we're living in the problems and not in the play. We're not really enjoying the pleasure of this relationship. We have lost the wow and we've traded the wow for the work. Now, I'm not saying there aren't problems in marriage. There's going to be problems in marriage. The Bible says right off the beginning that he made them male and female. That tells you there's going to be problems in marriage, right? Because we think differently. We actually speak a different language. And I know that because I've watched guys just glaze over. Their wife's talking. They're like, I have no idea what she's talking about. Okay? When a man in a marriage says, I have nothing to wear, it means all of his clothes are dirty and he needs laundry done. Now, why his mother... Never taught him how to do laundry. I have no idea, but that's now your problem, okay? But what happens when a woman says, I have nothing to wear? It typically means she has a full closet of clean clothes she doesn't like and she wants to go shopping. Okay, we speak a different language. We're going to have problems. But the question becomes, are you going to live in the problems or live in the play? What kind of a marriage are you going to have? Because many of us today are bankrupting our relationships because we're making more withdrawals than we are deposits. And so I've got some homework for you. What I want you to do is every two weeks, I want you to go on a date. And when I talk about a date, I'm not talking about dinner and a movie. Okay, That's entertainment. We don't need to entertain our marriages. We need to invest in our marriages. And so I want you to do this a little different than how our culture tends to do it. See, we always put all the pressure on Prince Charming, the guy, to come up with these amazing, fantastic dates. And he eventually can't top the last one, and so he quits, he gives up, right? Or he comes up with what he thinks is a fantastic date, and his wife is sorely disappointed, and he says, well, I'm not going to experience that again, I'm done. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take turns. I want you to date every two weeks. In England, we call that every fortnight, okay? So every fortnight, every two weeks, I want you to go on a date, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to take turns to plan the date. And what you're doing with this date is when it's your turn to plan, I want you to expose your spouse to something that you would enjoy doing. Now, recognize you're going to discover things that you both enjoy and things that only you enjoy. And that's okay. Now, don't, like, Take your spouse way out on a limb. If they're deathly afraid of heights, don't plan a skydiving, let's jump out of the plane, bonding moment in the air at 1,000 miles an hour, okay? Unless you want to live in the garage for maybe the next three years, if you're lucky, with good time served. You and I need to be investing in our relationships, not entertaining our relationships. That means that most of us are so easily distracted that you need to shut off your phone. You need to leave it. You need to go put it in another room. Get rid of social media 
for just a moment and invest in one another, in the real relationship right in front of you, not in the cyber relationships around you. You see, this third purpose that we see here for marriage is procreation. God's purpose is for us to produce children. But do you notice the order? Partnership, pleasure, procreation. Why would God want it in that order? Because what kind of an environment does he want us as parents to bring our children into? He wants us first to be partners so that we will partner in our parenting. He wants there to be pleasure so that we will pass on that love to our children. And I'm going to say something that's not very politically correct. If you haven't figured out yet, I'm not that into politically correct. Maybe I'll get reformed at some point in my life. But here's what I want to say. The Bible teaches partnership before parents. And what we're doing in our culture today is we're trying to be parents and then trying to partner. Now, you and I need to understand the order of this is absolutely critical. Partnership, pleasure, procreation. And what happened within a very short amount of time in the Old Testament, after this first miraculous marriage, is man changed the order. The culture said the primary purpose is producing children. And it created this horrible stigma on women. For generations, it created an absolute mess in marriage because women were only valued for being a baby factory and they missed being a blessing. And if you couldn't have children, there was this incredible stigma that was put on you. Why? Because we took things out of order. If you have a puzzle and you put it together how you want, you just force the pieces together, you're not going to have a pretty picture. You're going to have something that's broken. And man broke marriage because we rearranged the priority and we moved away from a biblical blueprint to doing what we wanted instead of God's will. And so fast forward to the 21st century. Here came the liberal mindset and they looked at this and they said that's absolutely wrong and they were right. But it was wrong not based on the law, on God's love letter to you and I but based on liberalism. And so they looked at it and they said, we've got to change that. But here's what they did. They moved the number one priority from procreation to pleasure. And what do we have? We've still messed up the order. All we did is swung the wrecking ball in a different direction. You and I need to understand the most destructive revolution that ever hit this planet has been the sexual revolution. And we're trying to redefine everything that God defined in the very beginning. You see, parenting is an absolute privilege. And one of the things that breaks my heart is all of the parents who talk about how much of a pain being a parent is. It's like the Christians that talk about how much work marriage is, and it's such a job instead of a joy. And our kids are like, well, if marriage is such a misery, why would I want that? But how many of our kids today are growing up and they're hearing the message from the very people that are called to love them, you're a problem and you're a pain because you're an interference in my life because now I can't do what I want. But see, it's no longer about your wants. It's about God's word. 
Because God here grants us the greatest gift of all, and that is to partner with him in the creation of life. But notice it's not just to create life, but to cultivate life. And today we have, we've sold parenting short. Or we want to create life, but we don't want to cultivate that life. We don't want to pour into that life. We don't want to raise up those children because it'll interfere with our lives. Because we're living these selfish lives today instead of sacrificial lives. Maybe the reason that some of our kids do have problems and act out and sometimes are a pain is a parent problem, not a child problem. Because we have not partnered together and there's no pleasure. There are kids today that if they could wave a magic wand, if they could have their one wish, they would say, I just wish mom and dad would love each other. What are they saying? I want them to be partners of pleasure. And you and I need to understand that one of the greatest things that we can do for our kids, the greatest gift we can give them, is to love our spouse. You see, it's here that you and I discover after the purpose of marriage, the purity of marriage. And Jesus makes it very clear here, and I'm going to have you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. Jesus makes it very clear what the problem is when it comes to purity in marriage. You see, Jesus takes us a little deeper. And just like he did last time with murder, he reveals a little bit more about adultery. Matthew 5, 27, you have heard the command that says you must not commit adultery, but I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. You see, one of the things that we're doing with sin today is we're trying to soften it by changing the name. And we no longer talk about adultery, we talk about an affair. Doesn't that sound nice? I mean, it's just a word that really rolls off your tongue good, doesn't it? I mean, think about that. So how was your week? It was really good. What would you do? Oh, I had an affair. Well, that sounds nice. Was that nice? Well, it was until about halfway through and then it was death and decay. See, here's what you and I need to understand today. You can change the name, but you can't diminish the pain. And we're trying to soften sin and sugarcoat sin instead of confessing sin, coming clean, repenting, and choosing to follow God's will and God's way. Now, Jesus here reveals that it's a heart issue that ultimately drives your thought life, your head. And he says, what goes on in your thought life will show up in your everyday life. And what we're talking about here is fantasy. You see, Jesus is saying that there's two ways to approach life either a lust-based or a love-based. And if you and I don't deal with our thought life, and notice here that Jesus gets pretty brutal and he says we've got to cut it off, right? And he's talking about your good eye and your best hand and the things that we don't really want to lose. And a lot of times our fantasies, they feel really good and we're like, I don't want to let go of that. Jesus is saying you've got to cut it off. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says take every thought captive. The problem is most of us, instead of taking it captive and killing it, cutting it off, we're cultivating it today. And so we're, we're feeding on these fantasies and these feelings that we have. 
And so we live these lust-based lives instead of love-based lives. Lust will always cause you to be a consumer. Love will cause you to be a contributor. And many of us have these consuming relationships instead of contributing relationships where we're making withdrawals instead of deposits based on lust. Now, you need to understand that fantasy is not just a male problem. Men and women fantasize. We just fantasize differently. Men tend to fantasize visually. Women fantasize emotionally. And and we've hammered pretty hard, and, and we'll talk about it some more, but we've hammered men pretty hard in the past because of visual fantasy. But ladies, let me ask you, does it matter why we're fantasizing or, or the motive behind or the reason? We're still talking about thinking outside of our marriage. It's still adultery. And, and there are many women today, they're getting themselves wrapped up romantically in, in these fantasies. And Jesus says, eventually what happens in your thought life will show up in your everyday life. And it's just a matter of time before some guy comes by and says, oh, did you get your hair done different? Boy, you sure look good today. Oh, you're having problems in your marriage? Well, I'd love to be a listening ear. Really watch men that want to come and, 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 and talk about your husband and, and, and seem to care about your heart. Because they're not interested in your heart. They're weasels that want to worm into your marriage and destroy your marriage. And you're going to allow it because you're going to allow yourself to, to fall for these feelings and these fantasies. And you'll feed your feelings, because it feels good to have somebody that notices something different, especially if your husband doesn't. You know, it's so easy for us to not take every thought captive. There's a story told about two monks that were heading to a monastery. And as they were going along, it had rained a lot, and so this little stream had kind of become swollen, and it was raging, and there was this beautiful young lady sort of trapped on the other side, And this monk hollered out and asked her if she needed help to get to the other side, and she said she did. So he bravely waded through the stream, gently picked her up, waded back over, put her down on the ground, and then they continued, these two monks, to the monastery. Later that night, the other monk looked at him and he said, Brother, I've got a a bone to pick with you. We swore not to, to, we took an oath and swore not to talk to or touch a woman, and you've done both of those. And the monk looked at him and he said, brother, the difference between you and I is that when I put her down on the bank, I left her there, but you're still carrying her in your mind. Do you see how subtle it is? Now, guys, we've got to deal today with the plague of pornography. And and we've got to come to a place where we recognize that, that God has created us to be visual. And he did that for a reason, so that we can look at our wife and say, wow, not at women and say, wow. Do you hear that? Your wife, not women. And you and I have got to guard the gate. That is our eyes, the gateway to our hearts. But ladies, I also want you to understand here that the Bible talks about us dressing modestly. And so often that is presented as you're going to be this stumbling block for men. No, it has to do with you respecting yourself. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to understand that you're not just carrying your flag. It's not the flag of self. It is the flag of the Savior. And you're representing not just you, but Jesus Christ. 
And we've got to talk about a problem in our church. This is not the church, because I don't know the problems in every other church, thankfully. (laughs) But the problem in Mitchell Berean Church, when it comes to modesty, many of you know, you friended me, I'm on Facebook, okay? And there's been this subtle shift in the culture that has entered into the church where we've moved from taking selfies to now taking what I call sexies. And here's what happens. You take your phone. Now, some of you have phones almost this big today. Okay? It's like the 1980s again, right? And you're taking pictures like this. And let me point something out practically. You're not just capturing your smile. Okay? You notice what you're capturing, ladies? If you haven't figured it out, now, one of two things, either you're completely naive or you know exactly what you're doing. Now, my encouragement is that prior to posting, you need to preview your post. And and this is an encouragement for everyone, okay? Because we're putting out, as representatives of Jesus Christ, a lot of us, we're putting out stuff that's garbage. It's not from God. And you need to preview that post. And here's a great way to preview that. If Christ looked at this picture, could he look at it or would he have to look away? Because if Jesus can't look at the picture, then I need to not post it. And if you're not sure about that, there are mature spiritual women in this church that you could call and you say, hey, can I, can I show you a picture? Would, would you just preview this for me? But see, I think many of you, you already know, you don't necessarily need that. Maybe you do. So why are we doing that? Well, for many young ladies, it's because we want to be liked. Look, we all want to be liked. Every one of us is driven by this desire to to be liked, my people. But let's talk about what that like is based on. That like is based on lust. And ladies, if you want somebody to love you, then stop giving them opportunities to lust you. Now, guys, we've got to deal with this issue of pornography. In the last two weeks, I've been in three guys' garages, man caves, whatever you want to call them, and I've seen pin-up calendars of young ladies not very appropriately dressed on display for everybody to see in the garage. I was in a guy's garage just the other day, a week ago, and after he got done showing me all of his cool toys, I said, what's the story on the pin-up poster? Now, you want things to get really uncomfortable really fast. The pastor is asking about the pinup poster. And so he goes, and he can't talk. And I'm like, well, I've got a couple of questions. First of all, what does your wife think of that? I don't know. She never comes in here. Hmm. What do your kids think of that? Here's a question for you. Whose daughter is that? Guys, this is the way we need to start thinking. Because when you start asking whose daughter is that, all of a sudden, you as a man are called to love, not to lust. And it becomes really hard to lust after someone's daughter, right? Because especially if you're a man, you've got daughters. Then I asked him this question. What would you think if your wife, if we got her like this really awesome poster of this guy that was really cut, really nice and muscly, and maybe he was wearing the perfect cut boxer shorts, and he, he was showing his six-pack ab, and we, we pinned it up above your marriage bed so, so your wife would have someone to look at? And he said, well, that would be different. I said, how? Well, that's my bedroom. This is the garage. Oh, so we've compartmentalized Christianity. Let me tell you why your wife never comes in here. Her. Because you're trying to get her to compete with a fantasy. She's your partner, not a pinup model. 
And many of us today, we're creating failure in our marriage because we're, we're trying to get our wife to compete with a fantasy. You can't compete with a fantasy. And women know that. And so it's easier just not to go there. And I asked him, I was like, would, would you like your wife to come in here? We do, don't we, men? We can't really explain it. But we like when our wife shows up and sort of watches us work or, or, or just there, right? See, we like a cheerleader. That's the reality. But you can't have her try to cheer you on while you're trying to live for your fantasy. While it's become about the pinup poster instead of your partner. And, and there are many men today that are doing that. So here's what I told him. I said, you need to take that down. Now, if you'd like, I'd love to climb up on a ladder and rip it off there for you and throw it in the trash. But then I want you to go and I want you to find a picture of your wife or maybe the both of you on your anniversary. I want you to go to Staples, wherever, and I want you to blow it up as big as you can. And I want you to frame it and post it right there in your man cave. So when people walk in, you can say, that's my wife. And guys, I want to ask you, are you trying to get your wow from your wife or from some other woman that is the daughter of some father? Went into another garage of a guy. This is a guy who's a grandfather. He's retired. Pin-up poster. Something you need to understand is there's only one antidote for testosterone. It's called death, okay? You're not going to outlive this. It's not just going to go away with time. You have to deal with this, and you've got to deal with it in truth. But I wonder, what did those grandkids think of the pinup calendar? They probably thought this. Why doesn't Grandpa have a picture of Grandma? It's a great question. I'll tell you why. Because he's more interested in lust than he is love. Because he's traded a love-based life for a lust-based life. And guys, something you and I need to understand is statistically, most young men that discover pornography discover it within a family. Either a dad or a grandpa, and some of you are nodding. You're like, yeah, I came across those magazines. I saw that calendar, and it impacted my life. But what you didn't understand is that it moved you onto a journey of lusting and away from love, and it's affected your relationship. And many of us, we're poisoning God's purpose for marriage because we're not keeping it pure. You see, it's here that you and I discover God's protection for marriage. And it's very practical. And I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2. 1 Corinthians 7, 2 says this, But because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman should have her own husband. And the husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives her authority of her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterwards, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. You see, we don't talk about the gift that God gave us of intimacy or sex very often in church. And many of us, we tend to think that this came from the culture, but it was really a gift from Jesus Christ. But you see, just like fire, there is a blessing and a burn to this gift. Now, you would not go into your home 
and just take a bunch of wood and pile it in the middle of the floor and make a fire. Now, it would keep you warm for a little bit, but pretty soon it would no longer be a blessing, right? It would be a burned-down house, and if we're lucky, it would just destroy the house. But for many of us, what it does is it destroys our hearts. It hurts us. You see, what we would do is we would take that wood and we would put it into the confines of a firebox. And we wouldn't feel like the firebox was limiting. Because what that firebox would do is it would allow us to experience all the blessing without the burn. And today, we're looking at marriage as this limiting thing. Man, I'm not going to be able to have fun. Here's the thing. Sex within the confines of marriage brings blessing and removes the burn. But we've got to believe and many of us today, we, we don't believe in a truly biblical basis for marriage. We're buying into the world instead of believing the Word of God. You see, you and I need to understand that the antidote to adultery is a healthy marriage. And a healthy marriage is a holy marriage. Many of us today have bought into this idea of happiness outside of holiness. And I hear a lot of Christian people today saying, I just want to be happy, and I'm not happy with the current partner I'm with. Why? Because we've made it about pleasure, and we've, we've missed the other parts of the, the purpose of God's plan for marriage. And so there's many people that are like, well, I'm no longer happy, so it must be, the problem must be my partner. Can't be holiness. And so we leave our partner for another partner, And there's this temporary happiness because happiness sometimes can be dependent on your happenings. And in that moment, it feeds our flesh and it makes us think that we're happy because our feelings are getting tickled. But you see, what we left behind was holiness. And happiness is the byproduct of holiness. And so if we don't have holiness, it's not long before the happiness runs out. And then we're not happy with that partner. And so we need another partner. You see, what we've done today is we've tried to figure out a workaround to God's will. How can I be a Christian, still do what I want, and not have to experience the death and decay that comes from sin? That's where we're at today. We're trying to figure out a workaround instead of God's will. And so what we've done as a culture is we've come up with things like condoms. But see, here's the thing. They cannot protect your heart. That's a workaround. I and see, now I can just go live however I want, have sex with whoever I want. I don't have to worry anymore. But do you notice that the only really antidote for adultery, for immorality, is a healthy marriage? And you notice here that the husband is to meet the needs of his wife. And I want you to see here, Paul says that a wife and a husband both have needs when it comes to intimacy. We have bought into a lie today in our culture that men have needs and women don't have needs. And I think the reason why is because we as men have primarily killed the desire within our wives. Instead of cultivating that desire that God says is there. Do you notice that we are to meet the need of our wife? That means that the husband leads in love. Guys, we don't just lead spiritually, we lead sexually. And here's what most of us are doing as men in our marriages today. We're coming, and instead of serving, we're being selfish. Instead of meeting her need, we're trying to get her to meet our need. And so she walks away, and she feels used and abused. She feels more like sex is a a sin instead of this special gift from God. And, And you know what happens when you feel used and abused? You shut that area of your life down. 
and we're killing that desire instead of cultivating that desire because we're being selfish as men and we're making about our needs sexually and not our wife. Now we do this, many of us, even before we get married. You see, what many men do while they're dating is they engage in premarital sex, or at least they push their partner as far as they can. Because they have this mentality as men that it's easier for the woman to say no than for me. That's called defaulting leadership. That's called being a lazy leader and choosing lust instead of love. And what we do at the very beginning is we lead our spouse with lust instead of love. And we make them be the one that says no. Do you know what happens to a wife that for, let's say, nine, eight, nine months of engagement says no, 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 no. Do you see what she's starting to train herself? Guys, here's the thing. God has created you to be able to say no. There is a biblical reason and a biological reason. The biblical reason is because you're called to be the leader of love later in your marriage. But you see, that doesn't start the day you get married. That starts when you say, I want to date you. The biological reason is this. As men, we compartmentalize. And so here's the thing. You can say no a thousand times. That's in its own little premarital box that will go away once you're married. It will not affect you. But she's holistic, and everything that happens throughout her day affects her. And so women are training themselves, no, this is a bad thing. And we're ruining them because we're making it about self instead of service. Now, you'll notice here we're to meet her need, so we better find out what are her needs. Do you realize that when God created women, he created them to have this need to be wanted emotionally before they're wanted physically? And so that means you've got to touch your heart before you touch your body. You see, intimacy and marriage rarely ever begins in the bedroom at the end of the day, but how you treat and treasure her heart throughout the whole day. And every day. And so you and I need to understand that we've got to meet that emotional need first. Now, ladies, you are then called to respond. And guys, here's what you need to understand. The way that you lead will determine her love. And some of your wives are shut off because you're leading with lust, not love. But ladies, you notice here that you are to meet his need. Now, if you haven't figured it out yet, you will. He has a need to be wanted physically first. That's not that there's something sick and wrong with him. God's wired men to be wanted physically and then open up emotionally. It's the exact opposite of a woman. But you know what we do in our relationships? We tend, it's like when we go shopping for someone we don't really know. We buy them what we would want. And so what we do in this relationship is is we're meeting the need the way we would want our need to be met. And so many men, it's not that they're necessarily being chauvinistic pigs and selfish. They're they're trying to meet the need the way they think it would be met in their life. And so they're trying to meet a physical need before an emotional need. You know what women do? They come in with their husband. They're trying to meet the emotional, hoping that he'll, hey, can we read this book together? Can we hold hands? Can Can we talk about, can we reminisce about the past? Can we, what are they trying to do? They're trying to touch the emotion. Now, guys will open up emotionally, but they have this desire physically. Do you notice here also that it says very clearly for you and I that our body doesn't belong to us, but it belongs to our spouse? That means that we have got to be responsible for our spouse's body. How responsible are you being? Not just physically, but intellectually, emotionally, spiritually. And you notice here that we are allowed, according to Scripture, to take a break sexually. But do you notice that we don't take a break spiritually? 
Because what do we do during that period of time? Scripture says we pray. And I think one of the things that happens for many of us is we don't talk about these issues. Now, you're going to have things come up in marriage. You're going to have physical problems that affect you. You're going to have emotional problems that affect you. And most of us were just embarrassed. And so rather than sit down, husband and wife, talk about these things. And maybe it's issues with your kids and you're like, man, we're going to abstain sexually so we can spend that time in prayer. That is a loving leader that chooses love instead of lust. But guys, most of us today, if if we were going to take a break sexually, most of us would see it as a problem. Let me tell you something. It's an opportunity for prayer. It's not an opportunity for a problem. And prayer is never a problem in your relationship. So let me ask you, where are you really at in your marriage? You see, we have a whole culture that is teaching sexual diversity today, and the Word of God is teaching sexual discipline. Where are you at when it comes to partnership? Can you look at your spouse today and say, we're partners? Where are you at when it comes to pleasure? Are you living in the work or in the wow? Where are you at in this whole idea of producing children and being a parent? Do you just see your children as a pain or as an absolute privilege? Where are you at when it comes to purity in marriage? Guys, are you being a loving leader or a lusting leader? Because many of us today are destroying our marriages. Ladies, are you choosing to meet the needs of your husband instead of your needs? Loving him the way God created him instead of the way you'd like to love him? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how you speak to us and challenge us. And I know it's been a tough topic. But God, we need this truth, especially in the culture today. I thank you for an amazing wife. And God, there's a lot of days when I just look at that woman and I go, wow, you provided the perfect partner, an incredible helpmate. And God, my desire is that we would have these marriages that, that are ministries instead of miseries. For we pray these things in your name. Amen. Let's be dismissed.